I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. So when I when I read about its impact programs on Facebook and in other social media, it really caught my eye. What was the James Beard Foundation doing? And of course, in order to find that out, why not go to the source? We have uh, with us this afternoon, uh, the vice president of the James Beard Foundation, Chris Moon. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I read about your impact programs and, and went onto your website to read your press release. Can you give us a, a, a quick definition of what the impact programs are? Sure. So the newly formalized and launched impact programs are really the James Beard Foundation's um, way of engaging the culinary community in the ongoing process of creating a more sustainable food system that provides nutritious and delicious food for everyone. It really started six years ago when we launched an annual food conference that takes place in New York each fall, um, where we bring together stakeholders from all aspects of the food system to Um, look at big issues like trust in the food system or the connection between food and health, for example. Um, That conference has been going every year, and as the the past six years have um, gone by, we have added additional programs. Uh, Five years ago, we launched an annual leadership awards program, which um, was an attempt to shine the spotlight that we have created through the James Beard Awards and, and turn that to the people who are really helping to create a more sustainable food system in this country. Um, Certainly names we know like Alice Waters and Michelle Obama and Michael Pollan, um, but other, you know, grassroots or nonprofit leaders like um, Will Allen of Growing Power Mm -hmm. uh, or Deb Eschmeyer when she was with Food Corps. Um, And then that came all together in 2012 when we recognized the growing voice of the chef community. And we decided to pilot a program called our Chef's Boot Camp for Policy and Change as a way to educate chefs on how to use their voice, their voices effectively um, to speak up on food policy issues. Um, so those are the programs that have existed the last six years. Um, and as we have brought this all together to formalize the impact programs, um, there are uh, several new initiatives and programs that we will be adding to the fold to really complement our work in this space. You know, Chris, it, it's very interesting that you, you mention uh, the notion of advocacy and policy, and you're coupling that with the whole idea of sustainability, which I think is something certainly that, that touches uh, my heart as a 100% grass-fed beef farmer and, and those of so many of the sustainable and, and organic farmers that um, are in my immediate area in Wisconsin, and of course, you know, all across the United States. When you when you say sustainable, what are you talking about? That's such a great question um, because I think it's one of those words these days that has become a catch-all and that has a number of different different definitions to to different individuals. Um, as far as the Beard Foundation goes, um, 
for us, that really means looking at the issues that are bubbling up from our our chef constituency that we're working with, um, issues that they're focused on, issues that they need support in, um, and really taking those on. And so, you know, ultimately the definition of sustainable being, you know, good for the planet, good for people, good for the environment, um, uh, you know, but, but for us, which of those issues in specific are we diving into, you know, that's really being driven by the chef community that we work with um, so directly on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, you know, one of the things that I've become more familiar with over the last few years um, is just how big that challenge is to have things be sustainable all along the food chain. Mm -hmm. Certainly, just as an example, you know, I grow 100% grass-fed beef. And of course, as you well know, there are only so many steaks in any, any animal. Um, there are only so many roasts. The rest of the animal is, you know, different types of organs, meats, ligaments, and um, cuts of beef that perhaps uh, many chefs and, and many, many Americans are no longer familiar with. You know, we've done a little bit of work in this space um, as we piloted some of these programs. Um, we did uh, a whole beef butchering workshop in partnership with Fleischer's um, here in New York City mm -hmm. and the Chefs Collaborative last year, really to address that issue. You know, I think there is a trend in the restaurant world, at least for people who have the space and the ability to do so, to purchase whole animal or, you know, purchase uh, a side um, and do butchery in-house, which of course leads to some of the challenges that you stated. Um, you know, there are only so many stakes on, on that animal. So helping um, chefs become more familiar with all of the various cuts, offcuts, and uses for the whole animal. Um, it has been one of the things that we have worked a little bit on the last couple of years and that I think we will continue to do more of. Um, we've developed a really great relationship with Adam Danforth, fantastic butcher, um, who has participated in our chef boot camp program um, to do some butchery work with the chefs that are on site. Um, and certainly hoping to do more with them because I, I agree with you. I think this is a very important space. Um, and then there's there's also the business economics side of that decision for a restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you educate your customers to understand that you're buying a side of an animal or you're buying a whole animal? So you may have beef on the menu, but the specific cut may not be listed um, because it's all inventory based. So, you know, there's some some very key learning there if you want to transition into that. But I think there are some really good examples out there of people who have moved into that space successfully. Um, one who comes to mind immediately is Chef Michael Anthony of Gramercy Tavern um, and Untitled here in New York City, who, mm -hmm. who has been buying sides or full um, animal grass-fed beef from the Hudson Valley um, and integrating that into his restaurant menu. One of the things that comes to mind is the fact that it's not just the farmer and the chef working together, but really how we have to then expand the enlightenment um, also to our consumer because many people no longer um, know the different cuts of beef that were once very widely uh, used and familiar across the United States. And, uh, you know, I've had customers of, of my own who have said, you know, I don't know what to do with the heart or mm -hmm. my goodness, what's this? You know, it's a tongue. They have no recognition of it and I don't blame them. It's simply something that uh, has kind of disappeared from our plate over the years. And it does have a big economic impact on a restaurateur, I would think, because 
they're not going to be able to cook and sell successfully something that people um, have no familiarity with or even apprehension about. So is the James Beard Foundation kind of addressing this as well? Um, to, to a degree, and I think, you know, this is one of the, the areas, I mean, consumer education certainly is, is a huge part of this. Um, but this is actually one of the areas where I think chefs are so perfectly equipped. Um, you know, chefs are natural born storytellers, and they are tastemakers. Um, and I think we have seen it in other dining trends in recent years, um, that things that weren't previously, you know, demanded by consumers have risen to be incredibly demanded items like Brussels sprouts or kale, for example. Mm -hmm. And so the ability of a chef or a restaurant to take something and make it delicious and message that to consumers and change consumer demand, I think is very, very powerful. And I think, you know, there's an opportunity for that certainly in, in beef um, and grass-fed beef, but you know, I think we're also seeing that in the sustainable seafood space um, with the movement, and we can argue the title, the, the movement around trash fish or underutilized species of fish, um, you know, that aren't, that aren't the norm that consumers have been demanding like salmon and tuna and shrimp, um, but things like dogfish and bluefish um, and the chef's ability to take those kind of lesser desired products, make them delicious and demonstrate to their customers that you know, these things are delicious and great. Um, there's a lot of power in that. And I think that's part of as how we go forward in the impact programs and start to think about how we not only address the industry piece and working with chefs, but how we, we figure out how to help them leverage their voice and their influence to change consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. um, there's a really big opportunity there. You know, changing consumer behavior is, is challenging. Um, it's very challenging, mm -hmm. but I think, um, you know, chefs really have a platform and a voice. Um, and when it comes to food, uh, the ability to put something delicious in front of consumers and open their mind to something else is, is very powerful. You have contact with, with, uh, restaurants and chefs from all over the nation. Is this concern with, uh, the farm to table with policy? Is it something that you see all across the country? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, um, I think one of the reasons that it made absolute sense for the James Beard Foundation to continue to grow in this direction is because I think it is very, it is very hard these days to find yourself in a conversation with a chef discussing their food, the type of food that they make in their restaurant, and not lead into a conversation around how they source, who their farmers are, their purveyors, and the environmental impact of that product. Um, I, I would say that's more the norm than it is not. Um, and that's across the whole country. So in our, in our kind of community of chefs that we work with nationwide, um, the issues are, are prevalent everywhere. The niche issues are a little different depending on the region or what may be going on. You know, um, the focus in the Pacific Northwest on salmon, for example, or other seafood issues, um, you know, may be different than what's going on down in Florida. But overarching, there's a, there is a tremendous focus on um, the quality and sustainability of the product and certainly the people who produce it. A very large part, it seems, of your impact programs is the notion of chefs as advocates and actually voices for change in public policy. Is this something that, that uh, I don't know that a lot of people 
immediately think about public policy when they think about chefs. Is this something that the chefs in America have begun to gravitate to? Absolutely. Um, I think we are seeing um, much more desire for that type of training. We started our chef boot camp program in 2012, and at that time we started an application process, um, mostly as a way to kind of gather information on chefs and their interests, their policy interest areas. Um, and it's been amazing. We have over 700 applications at this point in time from chefs all across the country. This is how chefs are thinking. This is the kind of training that they're desiring. They want to step outside of the four walls of their restaurant and have a voice in the conversation. Um, there is a tremendous amount of change that can be affected by what you choose to do in your restaurant and how you talk to your consumers and how you procure ingredients. But sweeping large-scale change comes when we also affect policy. Um, and I think chefs realize that and, and are kind of demanding this um, increased support and training on that front. And, you know, I think one of the things that are so amazing, that is so amazing about chefs that we don't naturally necessarily think about immediately, you know, we make this kind of tongue-in-cheek joke often that, you know, people think of chefs as pretty people with sharp knives who make delicious food, which they are. But chefs also happen to be employers, economic drivers, leaders in their communities, and people who engage with a number of local organizations to support a variety of causes. Um, and when you start to talk about people, chefs, in those terms, beyond the food that they make, um, they become a very important voice in the policy conversation um, because they have influence, they have tremendous networks, um, but they also represent a constituency of people that they can bring along in a conversation. When it comes to the impact programs, um, certainly your large focus and your large involvement is with professional chefs across the nation. But where would the consumer, somebody like me, um, come across or feel the impact of this new set of programs? Well, in the immediacy, there are um, a few of our impact programs that are technically open to the public that aren't just industry focused, mainly being our annual food conference and our leadership awards program that both take place in the fall. Um, our hope as we formalize our plans in this space and start to roll out this work, um, and particularly in our key issue areas, um, is that the consumers will start to see a lot more from us in terms of the communications piece. Um, so I would encourage anybody who is interested in these topics and following what we're doing um, to certainly follow us on social media um, or to subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter, which is called Beard Bites, um, which you can sign up. To, it's a free e weekly newsletter, but um, this is where we'll be kind of pushing out messaging and talking about all the things that we're doing. Um, and as we hopefully build out a consumer piece of this, that's how we'll start to spread the word. Um, so it's it's a bit in development at the moment, but um, though our focus is the culinary community and the role that they can have, I think there is a really important role to play in helping to connect the culinary community to the general public and the general consumer to make sure that this information and this um, and these important topics really trickle down to that that larger constituency. Of um, the over 200 chefs that have engaged with us in the kind of impact program area and through the Chef Action Network, um, we have found that actually childhood nutrition uh, and school lunch is the, the topic that is of most interest in that community. 
Um, so a number of chefs are engaging um, with our support through partner organizations like Share Our Strength, um, or others have started their own programs. Uh, Hugh Atchison, a chef out of Atlanta, Georgia, um, has started a, a nonprofit of his own called Seed Life Skills, um, which is a middle school and high school, um, essentially home ec program um, that he launched after going through our boot camp program. And so we've been giving him a lot of support on that front. Um, we've also partnered um, with the Partnership for a Healthy America in the past. Um, it also had a program last year called America Cooks with Chefs um, that helped bring healthy cooking tips to um, everyday American families um, by working with a number of James Beard award-winning chefs across the country that we paired up with um, everyday Americans. Um, so the, the, children's, uh, the children's nutrition and the school lunch topic is, a, is an important one for us, um, and it is certainly... Um, you may have seen in our announcement, it is one of the four focus areas that we're going to continue to work on as we go forward. Our focus on that front is really on the child nutrition reauthorization, um, which has been yet to, to be reauthorized. Um, and there are iterations coming out in D.C. Um, and a number of chefs have participated in a variety of advocacy days in D.C., meetings with elected officials, um, digital, web-based, social-based campaigns, um, really calling for the reauthorization um, of the Child Nutrition Act. So um, right now, the, our focus in that area is really on a policy front. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, as we move forward, we'll figure out what the um, additional programmatic components look like as well. You know, and I think one of the things that comes to mind, too, is, is an appreciation of the awards that the James Beard Foundation gives four books, four excellent restaurants, four outstanding chefs, because that really does help to, uh, I guess, train a spotlight on those things that the James Beard Foundation values and represents. So Chris, as you look forward to uh, the kinds of programs that you have, what is it that is a vision that, that is driving the James Beard Foundation, do you think? You know, I think that over the last now going on 30 years, the, the James Beard Foundation has really ultimately existed in this country to support the development of the culinary arts and the, the recognition and acceptance of culinary as an important part of our culture. The vision is to continue to bring the, the importance of, of food and food as a cultural component in this country into the mainstream. Um, and to uphold the values that James Beard really had, which was good food from a good source. You don't have to fuss with it a lot. And the fourth critical component is that the food is delicious, said Chris. It's been kind of lovely in thinking about the impact programs to return to James Beard himself and to really feel like this work to support a more sustainable food system is absolutely um, and, and completely in following in what he believed in and what he would love to see happening today. To find out more about the James Beard Foundation Impact Program, the organization's other initiatives, and to sign up for a newsletter, just go to www.jamesbeard.org. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, 
and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.